So good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on what time of day it is, wherever you're at, while you're listening to the podcast. Um, today, we're going to talk about becoming either a most trusted or the most trusted advisor with your client. And this all came from some discussions we were having years ago in one of our meetings. And we were talking about the different levels of you know, trust with your clients. And um, the discussion started with, okay, there's trusted advisors who are normally the ones that are, they're specific for discipline or an issue. They do good work. The client knows they're going to get good work. And most of our clients have a handful of these trusted advisors for different things that they do. But there's another level. That next level is what we call most trusted advisor. Uh, some people talk about being the trusted advisor. I have a problem with that language, that terminology because that indicates that nobody else can be a trusted advisor. And like I said, most of my clients have more than one trusted advisor. They have several of them. But the most trusted advisors are the people that they go to when something big happens in their lives or they really need something. Um, and it was interesting as we were talking about this, we were trying, trying to define it. And one of the guys in the meeting there, I thought came up with the greatest definition. He said, I know... I'm my client's most trusted advisor when I'm the first person they call when anything big happens in their life, even if it has nothing to do with what I do. And the more we talked about, it, we realized that's a great definition because that means that they know that they're coming to you because they know you'll help them, even if you can't help them with your own expertise, you'll help them somewhere or another. And one of the other guys at the, at the uh, table there is where we were talking, he's kind of Bill, uh, he was actually a nonprofit. He was a development guy. And he goes, okay, I get it now. And we all said, what? And he said, I had one of my donors come in to my office the other day and he plunked down a thick bunch of papers. And he looked at me and he goes, Bill, somebody wants to buy my business. And they just made this offer to buy my business for $70 million. I'm not sure what to do. And Bill said, I'm thinking, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an M&A guy, you know, but I realized really what he wanted for me is he trusted me to help him find the right people that he needed to get done what he needed to get done. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about most trusted advisor. Now, this is important for several reasons. Uh, number one, for me, it's more fun. It's more fun and more rewarding when I really know and like my clients and they like me. Um, and number two, it's the kind of relationship our clients really want. And we'll talk about that as we go along here, <clears throat> but it's really what they're looking for. Number three, from a business standpoint, it's good for business. A little later, I'll talk about the studies that show that developing this type of client relationship actually increases your business, your current business, increases your retention, and increases the number of introductions and referrals you get. And then if you're in the financial services business and some other businesses, it'll also increase the value of your business. But before we get there, let's talk about what it really is uh, and how you become the most trusted advisor. Number one, you do have to be competent, okay? You've got to be good at what you do, whatever it is that you do. And they help you, they, they trust you to help them in that area. You don't become a most trusted advisor just because you're personable and you're their friend. You become a trusted advisor for, you know, goes way beyond that. The second key is listening and not just normal listening, but you have to listen far beyond what you would normally do in order to give them professional advice. So, what I mean by that is, you know, you have to listen to understand versus just listening um, to respond. And there's a difference there. Um, for, so now our research and experiences and studies over the years, the last couple of decades, 
all conclude that our clients really have four top desires. Number one is they want to be heard. Okay, so this is that listening thing, right? They want to be heard. And they want to be heard globally, not just for the little piece of their life that you're, you're dealing with. Number two, which is kind of tied to number one, is they want to be understood. They want their advisors, they want their professionals to really understand who they are, what makes them ticks, what's, what, what is of value to them and you know, important to them and all of that. And then number three, they want to understand how what you do actually gets them whatever it is that they say they want and need. And that's a big one here. There, years and years ago, when I was still an estate planning attorney, the American Bar Association came out with this study and they surveyed a bunch of estate planning clients. And they discovered that a huge percentage of estate plans were either never signed or never funded or maintained. So they started asking the clients, you know, why that was. And the answer was, I could understand how my estate plan was my attorney's estate plan, but I didn't understand how it was my estate plan, how it did what I wanted. And it was because we as attorneys were doing a horrible job of taking that stack of papers and explaining, okay, this provision is because you said you wanted this and, and connecting the dots. So those are the first three. They want to be heard, they want to be understood, and they want to understand how what you're doing actually gets them what they want. And then for affluent clients, the fourth one is they want to make sure that the financial inheritance they leave to their kids and grandkids helps them and doesn't hurt them. And we've all heard about that. So we're not going to go there today, but, but that's the, the fourth one is they want to make sure that what they're doing is going to help their, their family and not hurt them. If they have those things and they, they're getting those things from you, then they know that you fully understand them and you have their best interests at heart. Like I said, this requires you to talk to them beyond just whatever your discipline is. You become the first person they call when anything big happens in their life because they know you know them and you'll help them in whatever it is that they need, not because they think you're an expert at whatever that issue is that's in front of them right now. That does take listening to understand and not just listening to respond. It's a different level of listening and takes more time. Um, one of the reasons that's important is one of our mantras is what they say is fact, what we say is opinion. And think about that. Even if we're saying the exact same thing, if I say something to you and, and you, know, you would say the same thing, it's my opinion that it may or may not be good, okay? But if I ask you the right questions and you say it to me, now it's a fact because you've said it. So when you're dealing with clients, the more we can ask the questions and let them tell us, the more it becomes fact that they'll actually do something about versus opinion that they'll think about. Part of that though is you've got to learn to ask that next appropriate question. The, you know, what is the question that will get you the next thing that, and there's great power in this and asking the next question. And it's not intuitive, you know, I don't think for any of us. Um, but let me give you an example. Um, a couple of years ago, I had one of our advisors, one of our members called me up and he said, I know you don't normally do executive coaching, but I, I need your help. I just want to brainstorm with you a little bit. And I said, all right, what's going on? He said, well, my wife and I, she was, they were partners in the financial services industry. My wife and I uh, want to generate $100,000 of new revenue between now and May. This was in August one year, between now and May. Okay, I knew right away that normally just generating money is not somebody's desired outcome. People don't acquire money just to acquire money unless you're Scrooge McDuff or whatever and you sit in, you know, and jump in their pile of money down in the basement. So there's a reason for it. And I said, okay, <clears throat> okay, so you want to acquire $100,000 in the next however many months? 
how you plan on doing that? And he goes, well, we make about $10,000 um, annually on a new client. So we need 10 new clients. Perfect. Now, rather than going into how you're going to make, get 10 new clients, I, this, this was my next appropriate question. What are you going to do with that hundred grand if you make it? And he launched into this great story. And, and he said, my wife and I are golfers. We've been playing golf, you know, ever since we've been married. And we have this dream of taking this golf trip. And we're going to start at um, Bandon Dunes, which is in Southern Oregon, beautiful golf courses down in Southern Oregon. And then we're going to work our way down the California coast and play spyglass and you know, all the different big courses that they have the PGA and the U S open at. And we want to end up down in San Diego and Torrey Pines and play Torrey Pines at the end. And he said, we think this will take us somewhere around 60 days, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. But so we want to block off 90 days. So we have time to get ready and we have time to debrief at the end or, you know, get unpacked at the end uh, away from the practice. I go, cool. So I get you 10 new clients. Do you have time to go take 90 days off to play golf? And there's this long pause. And he goes, huh, there may be a problem with my thinking here. And I said, well, not necessarily, but, let's, there's, but there is a problem with what your desired outcome is. What is your real desired outcome? He said, well, my real desired outcome is I want 90 days to go play golf with my wife. I go, okay, let's start there. So what's it take to get you 90 days to go play golf with your wife? And then we work through, you know, being able to adjust his schedule. So he does quarterly meetings at the beginning and at the end of that 90 days and schedules everything out. So he doesn't have to do anything during that 90 days. And, you know, some people that he had to bring in, but that was doable. And he was able to work that out without having to go find 10 new clients that was going to take that much more in time, which would make it so that much more difficult to take the 90 days off to go play golf. That's what we're talking about when I talk about the next appropriate question, uh, the appropriate next question. So you know, you have to be able to ask those questions to really get them to clarify. And, and what we're doing, we'll, we'll do a separate podcast on, on clarity. But ultimately, what both you and the client need to know is specifically, what do they want? Do they specifically want $100,000? Or do they want 90 days to play golf? How do they know that they're getting it? I mean, how do they go? Because a lot of these things are not measurable in just dollars. So how do they know that they're achieving it? And what the value is to them to get it? Those are the 30 things that we need to ask the question so that we get clarity on that from both their perspective and ours. And this goes back to the four things the clients want. They want you to fully understand who they are as a person. And often they want you to understand their family, however they define family. And, and that's another thing. Understand that some people define family differently than you do. Uh, I had two brothers and I asked them that question, what does family mean? One of the brothers, it was blood, blood relatives and whoever they married, that's family. The other brother, it was essentially anybody who he cared about that made a big difference in his life. Um, so those are the kind of questions, that's, that's another one of those appropriate next questions. What do you mean by family? Um, <clears throat> this is, you know, we've, we've seen over and over again that this is what clients want to. A couple of years ago, uh, US Trust did their annual sur or semi-annual, biannual, whatever it is. Every other year, they do a survey of affluent clients. And th that particular year, I think affluent was defined as $3 million of investable assets or $300,000 of adjusted gross income. And they were talking about what they called the values conversation, the, the conversation about who you really are and what's important to you and all that stuff. And, and they asked their clients, you know, when do you want to have that conversation with your advisors? 34% of them said they wanted to have the values conversation in their very first meeting with an advisor. 34%, more than a third. 90% said they wanted it within the first three meetings. 
Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I have these conversations with my clients. And in fact, the study showed that 89% of advisors thought they were having this conversation with their clients. Unfortunately, only 55% of the clients surveyed thought they were having this conversation with their advisors. And even worse, less than half of those clients were satisfied with the conversations. So this is a big deal. Even if we think we're having this conversation <laughs> with our clients, they may not think we're having it or we're not having it in the way they want to have it. So understanding the, how to have the depth of these conversations to really understand who they are is important. The other thing is you become the most trusted advisor when they know that your primary focus is on them, not on just what you can get from them or what you can do for them or how you can get paid. And the greatest example of that I ever saw was um, uh, <clears throat> a collaborator and I, he was a, uh, a nonprofit executive. He was raising money for a nonprofit. And uh, he and I went to this, one of my clients in Wyoming, who was also one of his donors. And we were going to do the heritage work. And so we get there, we knock on the door. He opens the door. Hey, how are you? All that stuff. Hands Perry a check. He hands him an envelope. Perry opens the envelope and there's a check in the envelope for $75,000 to the nonprofit. And Perry goes, wow, this is great. I really appreciate this. Then he handed the check back. And he said, but it would be inappropriate for me to take this check right now. Because the work we're going to do with you and I and Rod over the next few days is really to identify what's most important to you and what the values are that are most important to you. And we don't know yet whether our organization fits that or not. And until we know that, it would be inappropriate for me to take this check. So let's get the work done. And then if we fit what's most important to you, then let's, we're going to have a you know, chat about this check, okay? What do you think he did in terms of building a relationship with that donor? When it was all said and done, I'm sure you all figured this out. When it was all said and done, that check became a lot bigger check and the plan gift became exponentially bigger. But you know, that's all about becoming that person that, that they know it's more about them than it is what they can do for you. When you do this though, you've got to have an abundance mentality. You've got to realize that you probably can't do everything. Uh, one of my clients used to say, you can only be an expert at two and a half things. I have no idea how you can be an expert at half a thing. But anyways, point was, you can't be an expert at everything. And when you start asking the bigger questions about what they want globally, beyond just what you do, you've got to be able to start helping them find the right people to do that. Uh, and sometimes it's, you know, I had one client that came into me, this is when I was practicing law, and he had something that I probably could have done. I mean, I, it, but it just wasn't in my wheelhouse. And it was kind of technical. And... So he said, this is what I want. I go, okay, let's find somebody that really does this. And he goes, wait a minute, you're a lawyer. You got a form book. You can't tell me there's not a form that you can't pull out and do this. And I go, no, there is. I can, I can get you a form, but it's not my expertise. So I don't know the nuances and I'm just not comfortable doing that. I want to make sure that you get it right. I mean, I, I can do it good enough. So it's not malpractice, but that doesn't mean it's going to get you everything that you want. So let's find somebody that can get you everything that you want. And, you know, years later, he made a comment about how that made him feel to know that I wasn't just there to get the check from him because I could have, you know, I could have done the work and charged him a couple thousand bucks and everybody would be happy. Taking on the most trusted advisor role can be a little time consuming and you need to have the personality that really enjoys taking on that time and that role. And, and some people just don't want to be the most trusted advisor for their clients. And that's okay. I mean, that's, there's a difference between being the most trusted advisor and being a specialist or being a technician, the pe person that's really good at what they do. In fact, one of my good friends um, who's an estate planning attorney, 
nationally known, great guy, <coughs> excuse me, very, very good at what he does. He came to our training and when he got done, he goes, wow, this is awesome. No chance I'm ever doing it. <laughs> and I laughed and I said, why not? And he goes, I am really good at what I do in estate planning. I just want to focus on that. I want to be the guy that you call after you've done all this with your client and they know exactly what they want for estate planning. Then I'll come in and I'll draft them the plan that they need to get it done. But I don't want to know all the rest of this stuff. I just, you know, you tell me what you want and I'll get it done. But for those of you who do want to be the most trusted advisor, it does take time. Um, but generally speaking, I think it's well worth it. I think other people do too. Um, it, when you really know your clients and like them, it's a lot more fun to work with them. And you may, as you get to know their clients and doing all these questions, decide you don't like them and don't want them as a client. That's not bad either if you, if you can you know, get rid of them before they get started. And then earlier on, I said about studies. Let's talk a little bit about the studies that go with this. Over the years, Russ Allen Prison has done tons of studies, but a couple of them that he did that, that are relevant to this. One he did, and he interviewed clients. Both of this, these studies, he interviewed clients. And one of them he did, he interviewed the clients, um, and he discovered that our clients on average have eight core values. Now, there are different values for everybody, but there's eight of them on average. And what he found was, and this is for financial services um, advisors, he found that if the client perceived that you, knew, you know all eight of their core values, on average, you got 100% of their assets to invest and you got 4.1 introductions. If they perceived you knew five of the eight core values, on average, you got 72% of the assets and 1.7 introductions. And if they perceived you know two or less of the, of the values, you got less than half of the assets and no introductions. So there's a direct correlation between, from a business standpoint, direct correlation between how well you know the client and how much business and how many introductions you get from them. The second one study he did, and this one he did uh, um, right after the crash in 2008, he did it in early 2009, and he interviewed clients who fired their advisors. And shocking, it was kind of shocking to everybody. He asked them why you fired their, your advisor. 75.5% of them fired their advisor due to lack of relationship. It had nothing to do with the, with the performance. It was lack of relationship, lack of rapport between them and the client. So building this relationship is a huge thing if you want to keep clients. Uh, there was a, another story, a study, or yeah, I guess study, an article that was done years ago in the Harvard Business Review that talked about why satisfied clients defect. And they, they, they categorized clients into three categories. One was satisfied, one was completely satisfied, and one was dissatisfied. Obviously, they found the dissatisfied aren't loyal. They'll just disappear. But the surprising thing was <clears throat> that satisfied clients aren't loyal. They're easily lost. I mean, they're just satisfied. And, you know, so if they're just satisfied, if somebody else can satisfy them and give them a toaster when they come in the door, they'll move, you know, to whoever that person is. It's only the completely satisfied clients that are loyal and very loyal. And they're the ones that won't defect. And they're completely dissatisfied because of the relationship, not because of the expertise, if that makes sense. So if you're interested in this, what's the next steps? Well, there's, you know, we have three levels of training now and, and we didn't used to. When we first started, we did, all of our training was the um, two-year certification program for multi-generational heritage design work. What happened was we had a bunch of our members that came back and said, you know, I only use that heritage design stuff for like one or two of my clients. 
But I use the foundational things on how to listen better, how to ask the better questions, you know, those, those skills and tools every day with my clients, with my family, with my staff, with everybody else. So you need to provide those separate from, you know, the, the heritage design training. So we've now gone to that. We have three different levels. We have the associate level, which is the foundational level for pretty much any advisor who works with a human, right? <clears throat> and that's all the skills and tools I'm talking about today. Better listening, the appropriate next question, those kind of things. The next level is for specialists. These are for the people who want to build a relationship, not just with their clients, but with the next generation down. Um, so they at least develop the, the two generational thing, um, which again, gets you higher retention and higher value for your practice. And then the third level is the master level, which is the heritage design professional certification coaching program. And that's for those advisors who want to do the full multi-generational heritage design work with their clients. So if you go on the website, you can, you can get information on all of those. But if you just want to learn about how to become the trusted, the most trusted advisor and ask those right questions, that's the associate level training. It's not the full blown two year thing. And most of that is virtual. At the end of when we do our training sessions, at the end, we normally ask two questions. So I'm going to ask them now. Um, and obviously, you're not going to be able to tell me unless you want to send me an email and answer these questions. And I'd love to hear that. And we do this um, uh, to help you anchor in what you learned from, from spending this few minutes listening to this. So I'd like you to think about these two questions. The first one is, what big benefit did you receive from listening to this podcast? What is it that you got from this podcast that's gonna benefit you? And the second is, what are you going to do differently tomorrow because of what you learned from this podcast today? And if you've got some answers to that, jot them down and make sure that you remember this if you wanna come back and listen to this podcast again, or if you want more information, just go on to our website, which is the Heritage Institute, www.theheritageinstitute.com. Can I have the in there? And there's all sorts of resources. And if you have any questions or something, just shoot us an email. I hope this is helpful and worth your time. And I hope you'll listen to some of our other podcasts. Thank you very much. <laughs>